confession with. James chapter 4 and verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Verse 5, do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Aren't you thankful that God pours out his grace so freely? It's so easy for us to be distracted and pulled and drawn by this world. But God giveth more grace. God's grace he pours out so rich and so free. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I'd like to teach on this thought this morning. Righteous lots separation anxiety. Righteous lots separation anxiety. Now separation from this world or from the systems of this world, from the mindset of this world, is a, it's a common theme throughout the entirety of your Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4, we see that God begins to institute this principle of separation. Now, other portions of Scripture let us know that God was already separating right from wrong, unrighteousness from righteousness before even the foundation of the world. But in Genesis 1 and 4, it says God divided the light from the darkness and he called it good. God saw that it was good. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 7, God creates an atmosphere to divide the firmament above from the firmament beneath. God is believing in separation. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24, God drives sinful man from the garden of Eden. He separates Adam and Eve now because sin has entered their life. He, he wants them to be out of a perfect sinless place. He does not want them to access the tree of life. Noah separates himself unto God and steps into an ark where I believe anybody could have accessed, but nobody did. It was a, a place in God where only those who were truly hungry and desiring to be obedient to God were willing to go. God calls Abraham to separate himself from the land of his kindred and his, his, his people and to go to a new land that he was going to give them. Joseph was encouraged to have his family sojourn in Egypt because he knew because they were shepherds and because of the case system of Egypt, he knew very well that the children of Israel were not going to mingle with the Egyptians. They were going to be kept separate and distinct. And indeed, even 400 years later, there is very little mingling between Egyptian and between Israelite. And in the final chapter of your Bible, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14, it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. From the very first chapter of your Bible to the very last chapter of your Bible, God is separating light from darkness. 
Righteousness from unrighteousness. Holiness from unholiness. God is instituting separation. And someday we're going to walk through a gate of pearl and be forever separated from the nastiness and the filth of this world. It's not even going to remain within us. There's not even going to be that desire anymore. I can't wait for that day. Of course, we're familiar with Psalm chapter 1 where God pronounces a blessing on those who are willing to walk different. He says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he will meditate day and night. God promises those that are willing to be separated from the things of this world. He says, you're going to be like a tree. Planted by rivers of living water. Your leaf also is not going to wither. Whatever, whatever you do is going to prosper. There's a promise attached to this principle of separation from the things of this world. We see that promise in the New Testament as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul writes and says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Don't touch the unclean thing. And now here come the promises. And I will receive you. A holy God who dwells in in splendor and in majesty in heaven has promised to receive you and I if we will begin to separate ourselves from the system and the nastiness and the vileness of this world. If we will separate ourselves from the mindset of this world and the pursuits of this world, God will receive us. And he'll be a father unto us. And we will be the adopted sons and daughters of the almighty God. And verse 7, or, or verse 1 of chapter number 7, the thought finishes. It says, having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God values a people who realize that he is calling them to holiness, to separation, to think differently than this world, to walk differently than this world walks, to talk differently than this world walks. Now, the the goal and the purpose is not simply to separate from the world just for the sake of separation from the world. The, The goal, the purpose is for us to separate from the world so that we can pursue God. I'm separating unto God. I'm separating so that I can get closer to him, draw more near to him so that his personality and his spirit and his nature begins to remake and remodel and mold me into his image. Now, God. In the Old Testament. Wickedness was very swiftly judged. And it seems in the New Testament context that we live that there's there's less of a swiftness to judgment. And Peter is facing this even in the first century church, and he addresses it this way in Second Peter, chapter two and verse four. He said, for if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. He did not spare the old world, but he saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. 
And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah are still an example to us in 2021. Those that think that they can live ungodly and unrighteous and unholy. The Bible is telling us in the New Testament that Sodom and Gomorrah are our examples of God's coming judgment. But it says God delivered just Lot, who was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, when it says just Lot, it doesn't mean only Lot. It's, it's literally saying he was a just man. He was a good man. And it says from the filthy conversation, that's more than just the speech of the wicked. It's the lifestyle, the activities, the way that the people of the city were living. Verse 8 clarifies with this parenthetical statement. He says, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Have you ever been just living your life? You're pursuing God. You're you're doing everything you can, but you see some wickedness in this world and it just tears up your soul. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or you, you see a headline, you read a news story, and you're like, ah, ah, that just bothers me. There's something inside of you that is just torn up by that. Well, that was Lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly, verse 9, out of temptations. Thank you, Jesus. He, he knows how to deliver you out of whatever situation or whatever temptation you are in. We serve a God who has faced every single temptation that we have faced. He's, he's gone through it, and yet he was able to overcome it. And so he's not far off, but he's very close by. He's an ever-present help when you're in trouble. He knows how to deliver the godly out of every situation. But he also knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So I want to talk about Lot today. Because the Bible just called him a righteous man. It's probably not the first word that you and I use to describe Lot. It's probably not even in our, our thought process. But Lot made some decisions that led him to a place that we can so easily find ourselves, even if we're not aware of it. You see, he was vexed by the filthy conversation of the wicked. I'm not advocating complete removal from this world. There are religious orders and religious sects that have done that. They have completely separated themselves. They're self-sustaining and they're making zero impact on this lost world. It's very hard to make disciples when you don't have a single contact outside of this order that you never leave and never go out into the surrounding world. What I'm talking about today is the mindset, the thought process, the system of this world, cosmos, as you will. And God warns us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we've got to find a way to separate ourselves. But I want to walk through a couple of chapters in Genesis here. And uh, we're, we're all probably quite familiar with the story of Lot. But I believe God wants to help us a little bit today to, to pick up on or to re-solidify some principles of separation in our lives. 
So Lot and Abraham, they're very blessed by God. Uh, Lot is gaining much by being in proximity to righteous Abraham. He is, he is very blessed simply by being around his uncle. And they get to the place where their, their, their flocks are too great. And so Abraham says, Lot, you pick where you want to go and I'll go the other way. And Lot, in Genesis chapter 13, he lifts up his eyes. He looks at the Jordan. It's watered everywhere. Even as the garden of the Lord, it says, like the land of Egypt near Zor. And Lot chose him the plain of Jordan. He journeys east. He separates himself one from the other. There's a, a big mistake in Lot's life right there. Separating himself from somebody who's righteous and holy and pure. You should probably hang on to that, that family member. You should probably hang on to that church member. You should spend more time around people who have a desire to draw closer to God. And Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And the Bible says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. In the context of Second Peter, knowing that he vexed his soul by seeing and hearing their unrighteous deeds from day to day, then why in the world, I ask you, is, is, is Lot pitching his tent toward Sodom? Don't tell me what you set before your eyes does not affect you. Because the Bible says it vexed his righteous soul. In verse 13, it says the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And so every morning when Lot gets up, the first thing he sees as he opens the tent flap, I'd like to believe that Lot had developed somewhat of a relationship with God just by proximity to Abraham. But when he separated from Abraham and he now faces his tent toward, uh, toward the city of Sodom, perhaps uh, there, there's this principle is seen later in the Bible in the book of Exodus when God arranges the camp of the Israelites. Everybody's tent faces toward the tabernacle. There's a reason for that because the first thing they see when they open the tent flap in the morning in the tabernacle in the wilderness is the presence of an almighty God in a pillar of cloud over the tabernacle. Their focus, everybody, when they come out, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're facing this way or you're facing that way or that way. They're arranged around it. So the first thing they see is the glory of God resting in the middle of the people. But the first thing that Lot sees when he walks out of his tent every morning is an exceedingly Exceedingly wicked city. He set his eyes on wickedness and he begins to vex his unrighteous soul. I'm telling you, the first thing you see in the morning is very important. The first thing I reach for in the morning can't be my phone. It can't be a newspaper. It can't be anything else. The first thing I reach for in the morning needs to be the word of God uh, to allow the word of God to become my filter, to allow God's holy book to become that, that, that thing that fills my heart before I ever turn uh, to social media, to the news. But hopefully I prefer before I ever talk to anybody, I want to talk to the Lord. I want that to be the first conversation I have. Now, that's, that's not always possible, especially if you've got kids and you've got a family in your house. But I want the deepest things in the morning to be the things of God. We find out that Lot's setting his eyes towards something draws him closer and closer to it. In Genesis chapter 14, for the sake of time, we'll just summarize it very greatly. Lot 
is now living inside of Sodom. Before he was outside, it was just before his eyes. But whatever we allow to sit in front of us and we look at it day after day after day, we're eventually drawing closer to it. And so in Genesis chapter 14, we read of kings that come and there's a battle and a warfare and they capture all of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible lets us know that they took Lot as well, who dwelt in Sodom in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 12 and his goods and they departed. And one more time, the mercy of God reaches for Lot and his righteous uncle rises up in indignation, arms all of his servants. They chase him down. They deliver him. And Lot is set free one more time out of captivity. And, and God's mercy reaches for Lot again. But Lot does not leave Sodom. He goes back. And the king... Um, Genesis chapter 18, rather, I'm sorry. We're familiar again with this portion of Scripture where God comes to Abram and Sarah and he says to them, this time next year, you're going to have a child. And of course, they, they're, they're a little bit in doubt and Sarah laughs and the child is named Isaac. And then two of the angels that are there that Abram is serving God, uh, they, they, they take off and the angel of the Lord is standing there and we're privy to a portion of his conversation. And he begins to question, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And Abraham begins to intercede on behalf of the city of Sodom. It's, it's, it's a beautiful a depiction in scripture because it, it you can see it in the word picture where the angel is is wanting to go. But Abraham positions himself between the angel and the city. He's he's standing in the path of of the angel of the Lord. He's standing in the path of what is very likely a theophany of God. And he's he's pleading, would you spare the city for 50 righteous? Would you spare it for 40 righteous? And and then he thinks a little bit harder and thinks, you know, I, maybe Lot's not really making in any converts. Maybe he's not really being fruitful. Would you, would you spare it for 30 righteous? God, what, what about he gets him all the way down to 10 righteous? And I'm sure there's something inside of Abraham that thought, surely Lot is staying true. Surely he's instructing his children. And God decides, I will withhold my judgment for 10 righteous. And as we look around this world and think, Man, this place is getting crazier and crazier, wilder and wilder. We must remember that verse. It's not going to be on the screen, but in Second Peter where it says, God is not slack concerning his promise, but he's patient. He's giving everybody a time to repent. It's God's will. It's God's desire for this world to repent. It's God's will and desire. His judgment is being held back because there's a praying church that is still reaching. God, uh, would you give Watertown another six months? Would you give us another year, God? Uh, would you give me another opportunity to reach my neighbors and my coworkers? God, hold it back. And the angels step into the city of Sodom at the evening in Genesis chapter 19. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. He bowed before them with his face toward the ground. And he says to the angel, behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. Tarry all night and wash your feet. You can get up early. You can go on your way. And they said, no, no, it's all right. We'll just stay in the street tonight. 
And Lot pressed on them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. We see that not only is Lot pitching his tent towards Sodom, not only is he living in Sodom, but now Lot holds a position of influence within the city of wickedness. For Lot to sit in the gate, Lot is acting in the position of a city or municipal administrator. He's a judge of sorts that sits in a position of influence and authority in the city. Lot knew how bad it was. And that's why he pushed them so hard to get out of the street. He, he knew how bad Sodom was. And yet this righteous man allowed himself to mix and to mingle and to be so tied up with the system of the world that was going on in Sodom. He allowed himself to be elevated to a position. Perhaps he even campaigned and reached for that position. He tolerated the wickedness around him, though it vexed his righteous soul. Everything he saw, everything he heard was tearing him up inside. And yet he allowed himself to stay because he was temporally blessed. Because he was elevated. Because now he had a position. Because perhaps there were people in the city that respected a lot. But Lot knew all along how bad it was. And that's why he's pulling the angels into the house. He's saying, no, no, no. You can't stay in the street. You've got to come home with me. In verse 4, before they even lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. They hollered out to Lot. They said to him, where are these men that came to you this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Surveying the room, I'm pretty sure everybody understands what they're talking about. They called to Lot. They're saying every, people, young, old, every quarter, the wickedness had fully permeated the city. And Lot went out the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray, brethren, do not so wickedly. In verse 8, I will never be able to comprehend you tell me all you want about the laws of hospitality in the ancient world. I, I still cannot fathom this verse. He says, behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do to them as is good in your eyes. Just don't do anything to these men. How far are we willing to go? To appease the wickedness of this world. At what point does an apostolic church decide, you know what? I've had enough. I'm not going to vex my eyes. I'm not going to vex my ears. I might lose some position. I might lose a place. But I'm unplugging from this world. I'm separating as far as I can. Yes, we're still in this world. We're still going to function for the time being. We're still going to buy and we're still going to sell. But that day's coming as well where the world will cut us out of the world. And the world will say, you know what? You're not even welcome here anymore. But Lot was so desperate to maintain a position of so-called influence and relevance in the world. He was willing to sacrifice his own children to gain peace. Lot's mind is so vexed by the unrighteousness. He's constantly seeing and hearing that his judgment is deeply flawed. 
You see, I don't think there would have been anything wrong with Lot dwelling in the plains of Jordan. There would not have been anything wrong, but perhaps he could have pitched that tent door somewhere else. Perhaps he could have done what his uncle was doing and just kept wandering through the land, letting the Spirit of God lead him. You see, we're again, we're in this world, but you and I have a whole lot of control about what we hear and what we see. We're going to see things when we read the news. We're going to see things happening. I saw it just this week when we were in Des Moines. It, It bothered me a little bit. We're on our way back from a restaurant, and there's this homeless guy facing a wall up in a corner, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs. And it, 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 it stirred me a little bit. It bothered me. But there's, there's a difference between being exposed and feeling a compassion and a burden for the world and then allowing all of the entertainment and the media of this world to constantly flood and pour into my mind. There's a very distinct difference between those two things. Uh, and Lot is allowing all of this world to flood his mind and it's vexing him. And now he's at a place where he desires it so much he's willing to sacrifice his kids. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this fellow came in to sojourn and he will now be a judge over us. Now we're going to deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. I don't care what position this world elevates you to. I I don't care how much supposed influence you have in this world. Uh, The Spirit of God within you is hated uh, by this world. They do not like you. They do not like what you stand for. They do not like what you believe. Lot's soul uh, is vexed, and yet for some reason he stays. All of Lot's influence disappeared the moment that he stood between them and their wicked desires. Every shred of influence he had ever gained in this world evaporated in a moment when they realized there was something standing between them and what they wanted. And the world is tolerating this church for a time and for a season. But we can see it going on in our world around us. That time and that season is ending. Do not be surprised uh, when people begin to lash out at you because you're willing to take a stand for holiness and righteousness and separation. When you're willing to say, no, uh, this is not right. This is not what God would desire. Uh, Don't be afraid and don't be scared uh, when they lash out against you and begin to tear you down. He calls out wickedness and they begin to say, who made you the judge over us? Sounds mighty familiar, doesn't it? Who made you judge? Well, you did. You put him in the gate. The men put forth their hand. The mercy of God is, is reaching. I, and this is exactly where I believe many, even within the apostolic church are. Their soul is vexed, but they've got a separation anxiety from this world. And God, in his mercy, the angels reach out and they pull Lot into the house with them. They shut the door. They, the men around the house are all smitten with blindness. But the Bible says uh, that even in their blind state, they wearied themselves uh, to find that. Now, I don't know about you, but if all of a sudden I'm struck blind for doing something, 
I might reconsider and be like, wait, hold on. Maybe I need to correct my course of action. But even in their blindness, they keep feeling for the door because the lust and the wickedness within them is so great that they want what they want. And the men say unto Lot, do you have anybody else in this place? God uh, is going to destroy this city. He's going to wipe it out. The cry is waxed great before the face of the Lord. God sent us here to destroy it. In verse 14, Lot goes out. He speaks uh, to his son-in-laws, which married his daughters. He said unto them, get up, get out of this place. God is going to destroy the city. But he seemed as one who mocked unto his sons-in-law. Lot wanted to fit in with the world so bad that he intermarried his kids. And the tragedy of it all is that Lot's son-in-laws thought he was suddenly nuts. This guy who had been comfortably living among them for so long is now suddenly proclaiming damnation. As we've already mentioned, all of that influence in the city evaporated in a moment. And now nobody believes what he's preaching. What a tragedy it would be if the apostolic church tried to rise up uh, and do the will of God, but nobody believed us because they saw our life was exactly the same as theirs. What a tragedy it would be uh, for those close to us as we begin to call out to them and say, God uh, is about to destroy it, but they don't believe us because they've never seen it lived. Who was influencing whom? Was Lot influencing the city? Or was the city influencing Lot? And when the morning rose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise and take your wife and your two daughters, which are here, unless you're going to be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife and his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Righteous Lot had a separation anxiety. He had already heard God's about to destroy it. And yet he could not let it go and leave. And God help us. If we in 2021 uh, do not learn to let go of this world, uh, do not learn to let go of everything going on in this world and realize uh, God is only holding back judgment uh, until everybody that's going to repent repents. Uh, and God is calling for a people in this day and in this hour who are going to live separate and holy, uh, who are going to reach for this world. Uh, but that day and that moment's going to come when God is going to rain destruction on this world. Uh, and I don't want to be there for it. I want to get out of it. I want to run from it. I want to flee from it. Uh, I don't want to be so in love with this world and the things of this world that I can't let it go. And God, uh, in his mercy, is reaching for a people. Uh, he's laying a hand on them and he's saying, it's time uh, to go. Uh, it's time to change what you're seeing and what you're hearing. It's, it's time to alter your diet. It's time uh, to unplug from the mindset of this world and to be focused on the things of God. But Lot had separation anxiety and he could not say no. There's a very real term. For what this is. Anybody ever heard the term FOMO? 
Fear of missing out. See, when when God convicted me the last time, the time that finally made a difference about watching television shows and about what I'm seeing and hearing, I, I remember very distinctly thinking with regret, I'm going to miss out on this character's storyline arc. I'm going to miss out on what develops in this show. I'm going to miss out on, on this. I'm going to miss out on seeing that. I'm not going to see this. I, and there was a sadness inside of me. It was a fear of missing out. But God helped me to understand uh, that what was coming through my eyes and what was coming through my ears was influencing my heart. And it was giving me a love for the things of this world uh, and not the things of God. And I realize the only thing I'm actually missing out on is not season four of The Bachelorette or whatever season they're on now. It's probably like 35. I never watched it anyways. But there were other shows. I'm not missing out on this football game or that football game. The thing that I'm really missing out on is a deeper relationship with him. What I'm really losing out on is a deeper connection with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? The holy God of heaven wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your time. He wants your eyes. He wants your ears. But I think a jealous God grows very jealous of the amount of time I spend with my iPhone. And there's a fear of missing out that can grip our hearts. But he giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. God will give you the grace and the ability to step out of this world. God will give you the grace and the ability to cut it off, to sever it, to step away from it and to focus on him. You're not missing out on anything in this world but wickedness and vileness. All I'm missing is a deeper link with my king. Verse 17 of Genesis chapter 19, it says, It came to pass when he brought them forth abroad, and he said, escape for your life. Don't look behind you. Don't stay in all the plain. Get to the mountain lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, I cannot believe this. Oh, not so, my Lord. Here's an angel of the Lord. And Lot tries to barter with him. He says, if, if your servant has found grace in your sight and you, you've magnified your mercy... You've showed it to me in saving my life, and ah, I, I just can't. I can't go to the mountain. Some evil might take me there, and I die. Behold, there's a little city here. Just let me go to that one, and my soul shall live. Don't try to bargain with God. God's calling somebody today to begin to separate some things out of your life. I, I, I won't name things. I won't tell you this, that, or the other. I'll let the Holy Ghost do it because I believe God is moving in this place right now. If I tried to name this, that, or the other, I would miss out and give allowance. But I'll let God uh, do what only God can do and pinpoint it in the heart of every person under the sound of my voice. But when God begins to move and say, flee uh, to the mountain, get 
to the hill. Uh, look to me. Look to uh, your Savior. Don't try to bargain and say, God, is just let me keep this little thing over here. And, and let me keep that little thing over there. And, and let me keep this little piece right here. Just cut the head off the serpent. The sun is risen when Lot enters into Zoar. The Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife never learned how to leave it in the past. Even though God had given them the grace and allowed them to go just to a little city, she still wanted Sodom. She still wanted that relationship that she had with the world. She was there for the conversation. She was there when an angel gripped her hand and by mercy drug her out of a city. And yet she still longed for the world. And God knew her heart. And in that moment, God passed judgment on her. He knew her heart is not going to change. And she becomes a pillar of salt. Everything Lot had was lost in that moment. We read about his daughters whom he tried to pawn off as a simple piece of meat to this world. He doesn't even stay in Zoar anyways. Now he flees to the mountain because Zoar hates him. And his own daughters there make him drunk and rape him. All of Lot's connections All of his influence, gone. We cannot win this world by being like the world. We cannot win this world by... I'm not telling you don't love your neighbors. I'm not telling you don't bring them over for food. That's not what I'm saying at all. We have to be the most kind and compassionate and merciful and loving people on the face of this earth. There has to be a love of Jesus Christ that flows out of us so thick that sinners want to sit next to us. But I cannot reach them uh, by knowing everything about every show that they're in, by knowing the best bar in town and being involved in everything that they're in. But all the while... Out on a dusty sand dune outside of the city is an old man sitting under a tree. Now, he had a relationship with God and he walked with God and he was separated from this world. He was a pilgrim and a sojourner all of his days. And Abraham in his separation affected the ancient world far, far more than Lot did in his lingling. In his mingling. Let's all stand together. I'm telling you, there is great value in making up in your mind I will be different than this world. Uh, I will separate myself unto God. Uh, It's a lie from hell that you can influence this world by being a part of this world. Uh, It is a lie from hell that you have no power and authority. Separation unto God uh, brought Abraham great authority. Abraham was able to persuade God all the way down to ten people not to destroy an exceedingly wicked city. Separation places you. See, we're, we're so busy sitting and partaking of this world when God wants to seat us in heavenly places. Places of real influence and real authority and real power. 
Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Let's lift our hands this morning as we close. And I pray, God, let your spirit move in this room. I pray, Lord, let your spirit pinpoint every heart and every mind. God, you see me better than I see me. I open myself, God, to you right now. Lord, if I need deliverance, if I need to separate, I ask you in your mercy, God, show it to me. Show it to me, God. I pledge and I promise I will be more willing than Lot. I don't want you to have to drag me out. I want to let it go. I want to let it go. Uh, I want you, God. Uh, I want to focus on your word uh, and my relationship with you. I love you and I worship you. Uh, let's lift up our voice to the Lord just for a moment here. You're so good, Lord. You're so merciful and so kind. You're so holy, God. Help me, Lord, to be holy like you. Cleanse my heart, God. Cleanse my hands. Cleanse my mind, God. I love you, Jesus. I 